Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to talk to Lauren and we're going to talk about what does it mean to deal with the old payments infrastructure in America and how Dwola, uh, Lauren's company, is going to change this all, right? But we're going to talk about a lot more than this. We're going to talk about also how hard it is to be a female lawyer in the fintech world and also scaling up and entrepreneurship lessons and insights that Lauren can share. So how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? What is your background, Lauren? How did you get to do what you do today? Because we will also put it in the notes, by the way, but I think you're a legal counsel for Dwala, correct? I am. Yeah, I am the VP of legal and general counsel at Dwala. I really started out my legal career and in law school knowing that I did not want to wind up at a big law firm. And at that point, law schools and law school career development offices really didn't know how to help. So I started um, just applying to work with legal teams or contract teams at local companies near my law school. And I actually started out at an aerospace and defense company in Iowa doing technology contracts and negotiating with vendors and then moved really into healthcare. I started working with a healthcare company here in the Midwest that I was focused for them on technology, figuring out how to deal with patient privacy and also how to manage technology contracts. And I really got into fintech as part of my desire to work for a smaller company. I had really only ever been at large Fortune 500 size companies, but I wanted to get more involved in setting strategy and really digging in to be able to solve problems and being able to use my legal knowledge to expand the capabilities of a business. And Dwala is an excellent company, well-respected here in Des Moines. And so when they had an opportunity for a legal counsel, I jumped at that opportunity. Wonderful. So it sounds like, uh, you know, a, a breath of fresh air when you meet a entrepreneurial technology loving lawyer. I hope there will be more of those uh, coming out of law schools around the world. Now, you mentioned you are based in Iowa. So what does Dwala provide? And- but Dwala was really, it was created to try and figure out how to solve the problem of moving funds from one place to another without having to use and pay for credit cards. And honestly, it was born out of our founder's desire. He had started, I think it was audio record sales company, and he was trying to figure out how he could actually make a profit at that company and figured out that credit cards were prohibitively expensive. So he started thinking about ways that he could use ACH to receive payments there and built a technology around that. And then there's been a couple of pivots in Dwala's history, but right now Dwala empowers innovators with sophisticated account-to-account payments technology and is focused on making ACH available to 
any player in the industry that's trying to change the financial industry and offering components of the technology that we built for that original problem. And now we have added so many other components to it, but really figuring out how we can make it possible for people to take the components of the ACH network and then additional account to account payment options that are emerging in the US and build those components into their own innovations and their own innovative ways that they're disrupting the industries that they work. A lot of people who I talk to, and they are from the payment space in, in America, they are not happy with ACH. Of right. course, it was set up back in the day, and it worked well, and maybe it was uh, the, the front runner in terms of the systems back then. Now, some countries, they kind of leapfrogging, and they don't even have that, and they are maybe innovating even more aggressively. Now, how do you deal with this old payments infrastructure? And I think you are providing APIs, right? That can uh, work on the back of this. But is this right. a final solution to America's pain points when it comes to payments? I don't think it's the final solution, certainly. But I think we have seen the use of APIs spur innovation in other industries. So I mentioned earlier that I in my previous role at a different company was advising the technology teams for a large healthcare system. And in the US, there have been regulations in the past 10 years or so that require around healthcare information. It requires companies that store that healthcare information to expose data via an API. And I saw as part of that experience how that data just being exposed through standard communication tools between technologies revolutionize patient engagement. So now you can get on your phone and you can schedule an appointment without ever having to talk to a person. You can check your healthcare records. All of that was made possible by just requiring exposure of the data via an API. And I think we need a similar revolution for individuals to fully understand and take care of their financial health. And so it's a great first step to have APIs and have the data available. As you pointed out, we are behind where Europe has found themselves. They identified early on that the old systems needed to modernize in order to really create a healthy competition between the different possible payment options and to really challenge credit cards as the dominant player in that market. And so we're seeing a lot of innovation just based on the, that recognition and then regulatory support for that. The U.S. has not had that similar regulatory support. There are market forces that are forcing the exposure of information through APIs, through digitally enabled payment systems like RTP, and figuring out where the pain points are significant enough that they will drive adoption of new payment methods as part of what Dwala is working on. And we're trying to innovate in areas and do experiments with new payment options to see whether or not there are places where RTP can actually move, real-time payments can actually move the ball forward on, on what was previously some of the more old school payments infrastructure. All the great points. So let's stay on the solution a little bit longer because sure. you alluded to it and said that the, the founder was basically appalled by the credit card fees when, when he <laughs> yeah. had his own business. And you are providing APIs and solutions for account-to-account -account payments. So how do you distinguish yourself from your competitors, namely the incumbents? So if I have an account with Chase in New York and I want to send money to somebody with an account with the same bank in LA, what would be the difference? Sure. For simple use cases like that, where you just want to send a single ACH transaction, it probably does make sense to just work 
with your existing bank. Like that, there is not a lot of differentiation between two different types of ACH. What Dwala delivers is the ability to set up really sophisticated account to account payment flows. So rather than me sending you funds via an ACH transfer, maybe using my online banking system, I can create a system where I can let you send funds to your landlord. If you need to make a payment, I can create a system using Dwala to allow for those funds to move from you to the landlord. And I can set it up so that I can control the timing of the payments. I can also use virtual accounts to enable access to things like if I need to pay via Venmo, I can set that up and I can use Dwala and use virtual accounts to make it possible for you know third parties to pay each other in lots of innovative ways. And so the different components of Dwala really, I think, are what distinguish uh, that way of reimagining ACH as opposed to that traditional, I need to get money from point A to point B. There's lots of different ways that those transaction flows might need to happen on different innovative platforms. I see. All right. Now, you, you mentioned also Europe and I think you meant open banking, where in many of the countries, the banks are required to provide data that they have about their clients to the fintechs if their clients of those fintechs want to do, therefore fostering the competition, etc. Even though the incumbents, the banks have been complaining from the beginning, saying, why it doesn't work both ways, right? Because sometimes right. maybe we want the data of the fintech customers. But so that's a different kind of discussion. But it touches on another thing which is big in Europe and it's privacy and it's called GDPR. So mm -hmm. when it comes to the US and the systems that you provide or solutions you provide, how does people's desire for privacy come into play regarding payments and your solutions? Yeah, I think GDPR is an excellent example of setting that foundation to make the, the data sharing innovation possible. And the US is again, a little bit behind here. We have lots of states that are individually coming out with privacy regulations, as opposed to a federal level regulation, which I'm involved in several groups where we have been advocating for a federal uh, regulation to allow us to have a common understanding of what privacy means. But because those states are now taking action, it is, I think, one of the top discussion points when you're talking about especially the intersection of technology and the legal industries. And it's extra interest, interesting and extra complicated in these established fields like healthcare, like I referenced, and banking, where they have lots of legacy systems. And there is a conservatism about data where the, the framework is based around locking information away, and that's the framework for privacy. But we're seeing demand from consumers to make their data portable, even in banking and healthcare, et cetera. And they also have an expectation that it's protected from bad actors, a fine line to walk as a service provider to make sure that you are responsibly taking in that information and then allowing consumers to use the information in ways that really improves their lives, their financial situation. It makes their lives more convenient, but then also honoring consumer choices and making sure that they have the ability to understand where their data is going and then also to opt out of where they don't want their data to go. Payments especially are really interesting here because, and I don't know if this is true in Europe or not, but in the US, I think we have been really trained not to expect privacy around our payments. There's tools like Venmo, and regulators that make clear that they're going to track and share your payment information. And 
all of that sets this expectation that your information will not really be private. But interestingly, you're the only person that doesn't get the benefit of all of your data because the banks can use it however they would like to, but you can't take it and take it with you somewhere else and see if you can take the advantage of that data to allow you to improve your investment strategy or to improve your budgeting, et cetera. You can't pull that information out of your own bank accounts without creating your own spreadsheet, et cetera, in the US. So it's interesting the different dynamics of privacy and the different perspectives on privacy that you see, depending on if we're talking from the consumer's perspective or the bank's perspective. Yeah, I think this could be a topic for a podcast of its own. So maybe let's, let's move on, frankly. Now, who are your key clients? Can you support clients when they want to send money domestically or also internationally? You said something about creating a more sophisticated flows than just a simple payment, right? So what kind of clients require something like that? Right. We really focus on innovators, people who are really reimagining the industry that they're playing in. We're supporting some really cool projects right now in the real estate industry. I mentioned landlords and tenants and rethinking the way that landlords and tenants pay each other. Also rethinking the concept of earnest money. And when you're buying a house, how do you make sure that you have delivered the funds that you need to deliver for the initial close. And then how do you make sure that you have a consistent approach to delivering the funds for mortgages, et cetera? We've got some clients who are working in that space. Investments, health insurance, some purchasing programs, things like paying for gas, paying for collectibles and the exchange of collectibles. And all of those folks are using Dwala Solutions to build interesting and, and new ways to to maximize the value of the funds that are being uh, exchanged between the parties. What kind of clients are we talking about? Are they individuals only or also corporates or small media businesses? We Dwala is a business-to-business SaaS company. So our clients are all businesses that offer a platform, some sort of technology that they offer to end users. Some of those end users are businesses, sometimes they're consumers, depending on what space they're in, but our clients themselves are all businesses. I see, all right. And so what's the technology behind your solution? So now that's a test of a lawyer talking about technology. (laughs) That is, it's, it, it's really the existing technology to use the really old school version of the word technology, but the technology that came from the ACH networks themselves of here's a standard way to communicate about a payment. Here are the standard elements of a file. Our technology takes the instructions that come in through the API and converts all of those instructions into the file that the ACH network can actually process. The majority of what the technology is doing on on the back end is really taking in information and then moving it into a format that can be read and understood by the existing banking technology, to use the word in a a larger sense than maybe when you think of just software. Right. That's all clear. So that's great. You said you're using APIs on the back of the ACH, but you also said that you want to provide, let's say, real-time payments and things like this. So what you just said, it, it makes perfect sense that your API will translate instructions from the clients that are a little bit more complicated or maybe resemble normal conversation, and it translates it into something that ACH can understand. So I think that's obviously very helpful and maybe you can have more of a functionality on the top of the ACH. But when it comes to real-time payments, aren't you constrained 
by the limits of ACH when it comes to the speed? Um, so we also have direct connections with financial institutions that offer real-time payments under the clearinghouse. And so we use their APIs in order to transmit those instructions that are outside of the ACH network. I see. So it also works for outside of ACH network. Okay, brilliant. Yes. And a realistic question, right? How do you make money? What's your business model? Yeah. So as I mentioned, while it is a business-to-business SaaS company, we offer services directly to businesses that are setting up platforms that need payments in order to make those platforms work. We charge for the technology that they're using, and then we also charge for the transactions themselves. I see. All right. Understood. And when it comes to scaling up, are you where are you on that journey? Are you at scale, you would say, or are you still on the way up? We're still on the way up. I think... We're trying to be very conscientious about the way that we scale and making sure that we do it smartly. Dwala has been through a couple of iterations where previously in the 2011-2012 era, Dwala was really focused on person-to-person payments and it was more of a direct-to-consumer network. There was a pivot made in 2017 to start offering the underlying technology, the, the ability to build the ACH files, et cetera, to, directly to businesses as opposed to continuing to try and compete with the Venmos of the world. And in some ways, while Dwala is a very established company, Dwala has been through enough pivots that we want to be careful that we are scaling up in a way that that continues to meet the needs of our customers and that we're keeping that the problem solving that we're doing for them front of mind. So it's we're really focusing on how do we expand our business by making sure that we are creating technology intended to solve a problem as opposed to technology in search of a problem. Exactly. So well said. I wish everybody understood it. So that's uh, brilliant. Now Let's, you know, move on to you once again. You, when you were in law school, I guess the female-male ratio was far better than in the fintech world. So yeah. how do you handle now that you're in the fintech world? Yeah, I think the interesting thing about the female-male ratio, especially in law school, is you look around and the law students now, I think the most recent data is it's like 55% female in law school. But when you look around at the professors or the hiring partners that you're interviewing with at law firms, still mostly male. And similarly, in fintech, in technology, you can see inroads being made by women into the the levels of, I'm here to learn, I am starting out my career. But when you look around at leaders and all of your potential mentors, you still see a lot of men. And so I, I, I think that is common in lots of places, but it definitely persists from law school into when you start working in technology and then specifically in fintech. And at Dwala, we've tried really hard to recognize that. And we've had conversations about what that actually means, the fact that most of the leadership in these areas are men. And when you're looking for new leaders, the question of what experience are you looking for and who's actually had the opportunity to get that experience means that you have to think differently about what qualifications look like for a job and start looking for skills and capacity and competence rather than certain lines on a resume. Because if you look for somebody who, for instance, has been a leader at MasterCard for 20 years, your pool is now going to be mostly male faces again. So you have to start to think about what are the ways that someone could become 
qualified for a job without having specific lines on a resume. And by the way, last time I checked on this podcast, we had 40% of female guests, obviously not 50 or 55, but that's maybe a goal for, for a near future, hopefully. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great to hear. So how big is your team at Walla? And you said you're based in Iowa, but also outside of the state, or what's your ambition when it comes to scaling up? Yeah. So yes, Dwala is based in Iowa. That's where the majority of our functions are performed. But we, especially with the pandemic, we have hired, we've gone to a fully remote team. We do have a small office here, but everyone is remote first. And we've hired team members then from across the US, which is opening up a lot of opportunities for us in terms of we're getting different perspectives. We're getting different ways that people think about technology and payments and also just life in general, because they're from different places that are not just that strict Midwestern perspective. And also just from a operations perspective, it's been really freeing to have people who are available in all the different time zones in the US. So it has enabled us to offer better support to our customers because they're all across the US. And it also allows us to think about different talent pools and how we get more diverse talent. I think the size of the team right now is in the 130 range. And I know we have some ambitious goals for scaling, but want to make sure that those stay in line with helping to solve the right problems for our customers. I see. Wonderful. Sounds great. Now, before we wrap up, I just have two easy questions for you. First of all, what's your favorite business book? Uh, Gosh, so I am not a huge fan of of business books, but I do really like books that help me understand how other people think. So when I read one and our CEO here is a big fan of business books, so he won't like this part of the podcast, but um, he, he regularly asks us to read books with him. And so when I read one, I usually am reading a business book with the goal of understanding how that particular person thinks about business and how they analyze problems. So right now we're reading Amp It Up. And while that's by Frank Slootman, who's the CEO of Snowflake, and there's a lot to learn there. But the, the biggest thing that I have focused on in that book is, is really thinking about how does Frank think and how does he approach problems? So in terms of like my actual favorite business book, I think the one that has actually helped me the most is Think Again by Adam Grant. It really, it helped me to start to embrace, because I think when you think about, we tend to not want to be wrong, we like to be right. And so it helped me embrace learning to love when I'm wrong and learn it and figuring out how to take those opportunities to really learn and grow and rethink the assumptions that I've been making. Yes, great stuff. I know it. So uh, great uh, work by Adam Grant, uh, Wharton professor, of course, and uh, also Amp It Up and Snowflake. Check it out. I'll put the notes in the show notes. The last question is, what's the best way to reach out and what kind of parties would you like to hear from most? Absolutely. I am probably easiest to find on LinkedIn. In terms of other parties, I love talking to other lawyers about how they're handling the challenges that we're all facing in the technology space. But I also really like talking to, you know, prospective clients, prospective partners about how they're tackling fintech problems and how they're thinking about data privacy and the ways that we can innovate together and also protect the the needs and, and desires of our consumers too. Wonderful. So thank you so much, Lauren, and uh, good luck to you and Dwala. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com 
where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.